Let's go to Washington, D.C., where the Reverend Barry W. Lynn is standing by. For a quarter of a century, he was the director of Americans United for separation of church and state. Besides being an attorney, as well as a member of the District of Columbia Bar Association, he is an ordained minister in the United Church of, oh, what is this? I've seen this before. Christ? Did I get that right? Exactly. Perfect. United Church of Christ. Christ, yes. Very good. Let's talk about Joe Biden and Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris. Kamala Harris. They've done a good job so far. If he were told that he could win with Elizabeth Warren, but she would stir up the status quo, he could come close to winning, maybe win, with Kamala Harris, who will maintain the status quo, who's he going to pick? In other words, did he pick her because she's a guardian of the status quo? Not because she's going to bring votes. I think he picked her because he thought that it was she would bring the strongest presence to the ticket. You know, Elizabeth Warren, I always I liked her. She was my first choice even before I, I switched over to Bernie. But I honestly don't think Elizabeth Warren would shake up the status quo. I don't think she would make a difference. And I think she wouldn't add any strength to the ticket. Elizabeth Warren. Yeah, because African-American women, not only in national races, but in so many state races, are the core of the Democratic Party. I agree. I mean, we only have, and I think it's only going to be temporary, a Democratic senator in the state of Alabama because of the work of African-American women to support Mm. him over you know, child predator Roy Moore. Right, right. But well, the only the only candidate... Well, now it's I Tommy must, Tuberville. Yeah, I mean, I think he's going to walk away with it. I, I, I think we might as well just assume that we need an extra vote, uh, flip an extra seat, because I don't think Doug Jones is going to be with us. I think the only candidate in those final batches that would have been someone that would make me even... Even me, blue is always me, consider being horrified, not just slightly annoyed voting for Biden, would be Susan Rice. I mean, she's a Democratic neocon. She's a warmonger. And she's not ready for prime time. When she was asked in an interview a few weeks ago, how can you communicate with people who support Donald Trump? She told this story. She said, Well, uh, my own son doesn't agree with me about a lot of things, but we talk, and then she ended by saying, and I still love him. That's a dopey answer to that question. Right. Because everybody's not going to be immediately related to you, and if you can't even convince your own son that you're right, maybe you ought to go back and try some other arguments. But it it was what you say if you don't know how to answer difficult questions. And I, I, I am truly glad she was not picked. 
Well, she's a I product of the common. ruling elite. I mean, she's just hyper-educated. She grew yeah. up in Washington, yeah. D.C., right? Yeah. Her parents she were did. part of the system, and she can't see beyond it. So she's part of the problem. There is a story to Ms. Harris that I like. There are a lot of things I don't like about her. Right. She was for Medicare for All until she wasn't. Um, you know, Trump hasn't gotten us into a war, has he? As somebody no. who marched with the Berrigans. Yeah. I, I, no, he has not gotten us into a war. And arguably, just yesterday, of course, uh, Jared Kushner comes out, was on Fox celebrating his wonderful peace agreement between the United Arab Emirates and Israel, that they're going to recognize each other. And uh, we'll see how long that lasts. I mean, sometimes these claims of peace initiatives last for five days. And I'm sure the people of Israel are going to breathe a sigh of relief knowing that the UAE isn't breathing down their back anymore. That was a big problem. Of course it was. Will there ever be peace between (laughs) Israel and the UAE? Remember, most people, David, they, they couldn't identify any of these countries on a map. They... They, we don't think about, it's unfortunate, we do not think about foreign policy in this country. It shows up on no one's radar for the most important issues on which you're going to vote. It's just, it's health care, it's the economy, but the issue, other issues, civil rights, civil liberties, foreign policy, people do not vote on that basis, and they don't care about it. What worries me more, they don't care about it. Okay. Can you see a President Harris or a President Biden delivering an address from the Oval Office announcing airstrikes somewhere? It's easy to imagine that, isn't it? Yes, it is. It is. Because they think uh, they can it, fix things. They're smart. Well they, think they can, well, they think they can fix some things. I don't know if they have a kind of messianic complex about fixing world, the world stage. I'm not sure that they do. And obviously, it's unlikely that they'll be able to do that. So I you don't, you don't, you, you can't see Joe Biden or President Harris saying tonight I've ordered airstrikes because this will not stand. Yes, I can see that. Can you see Trump doing well, it? Yes, I can see him doing it too. But can you see him getting away with it? He gets away with everything. Well, why hasn't so, he gotten us into a war? He killed Soleimani. It was going to be World War III. Yep. And uh, uh, why did he? I mean, I think there is a, a certain part of him that is honest. And when he started talking about how endless wars in Afghanistan was going on for so long, but uh, he he believes in nothing anymore. I mean, there's no moral compass to him. There's no there's nothing that he depends on to give him guidance about how to run anything, not how to run this country, not how to deal with COVID-19, not how to create a foreign policy. I couldn't define what the Donald Trump strategy is on matters of war and peace. Could you? Maybe that's a good thing. I mean, I'm just grasping here, and maybe I'm wrong, but I'm asking you to think out of the box. Yep. Is there some benefit to having a complete and utter fool in the Oval Office? Somebody, the American people, the Republican Senate, 
doesn't trust to conduct foreign policy as commander-in-chief, isn't there some benefit to having an idiot running? <laughs> I'm, I'm being serious. No, yeah, well, uh, but you, but seriously. No, no, but, but uh, hang on for a yeah. second. Take this seriously. You, you have an sure. idiot in the Oval Office who's not allowed to touch anything. It's, it's a given when you read what Mattis said and you yeah. read these books about the military guys, they disobey his orders. They keep things from him. He's not allowed to order in an airstrike. He's not allowed to really do anything. And they're not going to fund one of his incursions. Isn't it more democratic now with an idiot commander-in-chief? If that was the only thing he dealt with, there's a certain truth to what you say. But in the real world of what happens, not only in this country, but around the world, an idiot causes an enormous amount of problems. And this is not just one idiot. This is an idiot who picks only idiots to serve with him, only sycophantic idiots to serve with him. So the damage that he's doing to the world's environment, to say nothing of the U.S. environment, the damage that he's doing to civil rights around the world, human rights around the world, civil rights in this country, is almost unimaginable. If I, if you had asked me, if I had known you four years ago, and after Trump was elected, I I would have said... uh, well, I th- and I think I did say this. I said, well, there's hope. You know, we, we have to give him a chance. We have to see how bad he really is. He's turned out to be infinitely worse than I ever imagined him to be on national policies and as they bleed into international policy. So if you're, if you're Susan Rice or Barry Lynn or David Feldman or Dr. Hershenfeld, you're in a certain comfort zone we're not living literally hand to mouth we don't we can live without one paycheck a third of the people in this country cannot live without being paid if they just miss one pay cycle those people are totally abandoned by this idiot and uh and by nancy died because of it and nancy pelosi yeah, well, Nancy Pelosi, I mean, look, you know, Nancy Pelosi, <laughs> I think she is, um, she's, it's almost hard to believe that people like her as much as they do. Because it, the occasional thing that she does, like ripping up the speech that Trump gave last year at the State of the Union in front of the cameras and knowing that that was going to be played over and over again. This is when I think, you know, she's got something going for her. But then every time she gives up something, every time she cuts some deal and gets basically nothing in return, it demonstrates that she, too, she is not hurting. She is a multimillionaire. She is not hurting. But the people who are her constituents and the people that live in the rest of the country, they don't have the benefit of having any cushion whatsoever. No cushion. And she doesn't stick up for them. She's not tough enough. And it's the same with Chuck Schumer. I would love if Chuck Schumer was primaried by AOC in the near future. Amen. And then she won. Amen. And she 
Well, I don't know if she could win, but she should. That's a great idea. Well, how many uh, times? Not- how many times did the Republicans vote when they ran the the House? How many yeah. times did they vote to kill Obamacare? How many? Like, I think it's sixteen. Sixteen times, I think. I think it's even more than that. Could be. And they knew they didn't have the votes, but they knew they didn't have the votes in the Senate. Right. Okay. How many times has Nancy Pelosi introduced Pramila Jayapal's Medicare for All bill? Zero. Well, I mean, anybody can. It's introduced, but how many times has she spoken about it? How many times have they voted on it? None. Never. 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 No. Because it, no. it, it'll die, it'll die. The votes aren't there. So she's shown her hand. The Democrat, this Democratic Party has shown its hand. A, 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 and Biden says he's going to veto Medicare for all. I'm supposed to. Well, I'm supposed to. Tell me again why I'm supposed to vote <laughs> for these guys. Well, you're supposed to vote for them because. They will not ruin any more than it's already been ruined, the entire judicial system of this country. The the Supreme Court in its current state, in my judgment, would not even uphold Medicare for all, whatever that turns out to mean, or the Green New Deal. And we have Ruth Bader Ginsburg still hanging on as one of the votes. If Trump gets one more vote, there will be no voting rights. There will be no environmental protections. There will be no civil rights. There will be no freedom of speech. None of this will occur. So if for no other reason than that, you should support the Biden-Harris ticket. You can be disgusted by it. You can throw up on your way to the voting booth, or but don't throw up on the ballot if you're planning to mail it in. That because would be people would see the puke and vote for that instead. Yes, Biden. Would they would. Uh, you could vote for Kanye West, but yeah, no. Look, look, there's something every single time that I watch anybody from this administration on television, and I watch incessantly. I use the fact that I come on here every week to talk about politics as the excuse for watching endless amounts of television. <laughs> but I see, but really, I do. I said to my therapist, she said, you know, one of the things I say to people: don't watch so much television. And I said, that's a good piece of advice. But I said, I'm on this podcast every week, and I talk about politics, and that's what I use to justify watching so damn much television. And she said, well, okay. All right. <laughs> well, here's some other reasons. You have to get people in office. You know, I think if Elizabeth Warren was in a different state, if she wasn't going to be replaced by a Republican state of Massachusetts because you know Governor uh, Baker up there is a Republican not as crazy as you generally find but if she would be the Secretary of the Treasury I don't know if she'll be appointed because I I think will be very sketchy having even a 50-50 split in the Senate when all is said and done and you can't give up the Massachusetts seat and turn it into a Republican seat and I think she understands that. How do you think this election plays out? I don't well, think I don't think Biden wins. I think it's it, it, well. Two weeks ago, I would have said yes. I 
I hate the polls. I don't believe them. I do deep digs into them, and uh, and I'm worried too. I mean, I think that these, the possibility is very real that he has so much of the, what they're now calling again the silent majority, like Nixon called it. People who don't even want to admit that they are going to vote for him and they would never tell a pollster they're going to vote, but they're going to come out and vote. Does she, couple- does she stir up that Obama hatred that... No. Is- no, I don't think, I don't think Kamala Harris does. I think she, she drums up real enthusiasm in places that matter. The, the, if you can get a significantly higher African-American turnout in big cities, in Pittsburgh, in Philadelphia, you win Pennsylvania. If you do the same thing in Milwaukee, you win Wisconsin. And I think Kamala Harris has the capacity to do that. And, and, and that she is, she is not frightening in the same way that for some inexplicable reason, Hillary was frightful. I mean, Hillary Clinton just had a terrible campaign. She didn't know what to say. She didn't know where she was running. She wasted time in places she shouldn't, doing things that she shouldn't have done, and just left it's a chance that maybe she'd get elected, and she didn't. But the hostility level to Hillary Clinton was so great that there's nothing Kamala Harris could do or say that would put her in the same rarefied atmosphere of I hate you that people had for Hillary Clinton. Okay. No one. Now, you say on this show that Donald Trump has been put in office to combat a pedophilia ring that's rampant throughout our ruling class and that he's cleaning house. Yeah. Well, that he know, busted. The, the he, go ahead. He busted Jeffrey Epstein, that this is one of the great undercover operations that we've ever witnessed in this country. That's yeah, what you say. I, I read you over it. <laughs> 4chan and 8chan and the fact that QAnon even exists in America is frightening but Pizzagate this was the assertion that John Podesta who I've known for a long time and Hillary Clinton were literally running a pedophile ring in the basement of a place called Comet Ping Pong Pizza now I used to go to Comet Ping pong. Ah, pizza. yeah. Uh-huh. Did That's you have right. a slice in the basement? <laughs> yeah. If you, if you if you ordered a slice, it was boys, and ravioli, it was girls. But this this ridiculous idea caught on with so many people that there was a, a few weeks after the election, a guy who drove to Washington from North Carolina, armed with an AK forty seven, walked into the pizza place before he had a chance to shoot. Uh, everybody was running out because they recognized that this, this didn't look like a water pistol. And uh, he was convicted, I think sentenced to two years. And what he said after he was convicted was interesting. He said, you know, I was, uh, I was lied to. I guess you can't believe everything you read because he was on 4chan, which was where uh, the QAnon movement really got uh, kind of got its grounding he said i had some bad intel is what he said he had bad intel yeah 
fine. But it, but it's, but it gets worse because now we see that the Republican Party. I have so much fun with this one. Let me just let me sure I get his name. Her name, Lauren Bollard. He she's running in Colorado. She's almost certain to win, and she has a clear affection for QAnon. And what I have fun doing is I, I follow her on Twitter. And every time she comes on every two days or something, making some astonishing claim, I write to her. And I'm hoping that somebody on her staff reads the stuff, because I'm sure she gets thousands of hateful FU messages. But I try to be a little more delicate. I try to pretend that she's not conservative enough. I'll give you an example from just today. She was writing about um, looting in Chicago. She says, uh, the only thing being looted in Chicago seems to be department stores, when according to AOC, all these people want is bread. So mm. I wrote to Ms. Bollard and I said, I can't believe you're really a conservative. Why aren't, she, why aren't they looting the bakeries? I said, I am shocked that you as a conservative would suggest looting any business of any kind. <laughs> That's not a FU statement. But if, but, and I just hope there's somebody on her staff who isn't crazy and going, this Lynn character writes every couple of days. What an idiot. But at least he doesn't say FU. But now we have somebody even more nutty than she is. And she, this is a woman elected uh, to run as a Democrat in Georgia, and her name is to run as a Republican, Marjorie Taylor Greene. She's a Republican. Marjorie, she's a Republican. Right. She beat a nearly as crazy uh, Republican in the primary. She was declared just in the middle of the week a future Republican rising star by none other than the president himself. This is what Miss Green thinks. There is now a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to take this global cabal of Satan-worshipping pedophiles, and I think we have the right president to get rid of them. A little nutty. Hmm. She believes she's much like the doctor we talked about a couple of weeks ago who believes that there is a core of people, not just in the United States but around the world, who are reptilian. They aren't even human. They're masquerading as humans. I agree with you. Who is Steve I Atlas? Agree. Steve Atlas. Well, Steve Atlas is another nut. Now, Steve Atlas now runs the, uh, the coronavirus task force, but he's long been a fixture on Fox News. He is a doctor who believes that we don't have any understanding of COVID-19, that we should reach herd immunity, the most public health matters are uh, of no consequence. He believes that masks are, uh, are bad, unnecessary. So I decided to look up some of his earliest predictions today. And uh, here's one. He made this back in April. He was talking about how uh, the... Uh, he said, you know, he worries so much about infection rates we ought to focus on death rates and then he says in early july the hypothetical projection of 134,000 dead by august 8th was incorrect 
Well, on August 8th, he was correct. We had 160,000, not 134,000. But you watch him, and you watch the way he mesmerizes idiots like Laura Ingram on Fox. They they shake their head. Every time he says something, open the schools. you got to get herd immunity. Little brats will get in and get all sick, and that's okay, because the more people, the better that are are infected. Tucker Carlson, yes. Laura Ingram, yes. I mean, even I'm appalled, and I used to be on all those shows, but I'm appalled at the idiocy that they continue to promote on Fox. And I think there's, a, there's some point where falsifying information, talking about phony cures, talking about nitwit science instead of solid science, ought to get you in trouble. It ought to be akin to shouting fire in a crowded theater when there's no fire. Yeah, I mean, the FDA, the FCC, the FTC, who sends flowers? FTD? Can't F- the FTD do something? The, FT- the FTD, the floral trade. Yeah. Dr. Barry Lynn, what are you, are you going to go on vacation? What are you doing to relax? Well, this, this coming weekend is what we, Joanne and I used to go every year. I, before I even knew her, was going to the Philadelphia Folk Festival in Schwenksville, Pennsylvania. And I went ever since I was in high school. And I saw great artists, the great blues people, Mississippi, John Hurt, uh, Sonny Terry and Brownie McGee. And... Um, they obviously aren't meeting for real, but they're doing a virtual folk festival. It starts tomorrow afternoon. I have an all three-day pass. I'll be there watching it on television from tomorrow afternoon until Sunday night. Wow. That's the only vacation I'm getting. Wow. We had Thomas so still Fr- writing the book. Good. And I'm go to Barry, the book. BarryWLynn.com. BarryWLynn.com. I got some wonderful responses when you promoted that last week. Wow. BarryWLynn.com. I'm, I'm building a mailing list. I will not send you much stuff. I will not solicit your assistance on any petitions. And I won't send you any COVID-19 cures till they're proven to be successful. That's my promise. BarryWLynn.com. Barry yes. Follow him on Twitter at Barry W. Lynn. Yeah. We had Thomas Frank on the show today. Yes. Have you read him? Yes. I he, even interviewed him a couple times. He's amazing. He's a super guy. And and his three books and the latest, Populism No. Ah. It's incredible. What's the matter with Kansas? Listen liberal and Populism exactly. No. They are I haven't read the new one. Have not read the new one, but because I I so frequently read the books by people that you have on the show. I, I will order it. Fantastic. Thank you, sir. Thank the you. Reverend Barry W. Lynn, for a quarter of a century, was the executive director of Americans United for Separation of Church and State. Besides being an attorney, a member of the Supreme Court bar, 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 bar. He is an ordained minister in the United Church of, hang on, I can do this. Write write it down. C-H, all right. Let's try it. Christ? Christ.
Christ it is. Yes, it is. Christ it is. Thank you. Yes, it is. Stay on the line one second. 